0: I am so excited about the next few minutes of WGTD's morning show because I am going to be exploring the story of an extraordinary undertaking when the magic of Sesame Street was transferred to Russian television at one of the most tumultuous times in that nation's history. What could go wrong? All kinds of things could go wrong. And some things went right as well. And that is the amazing and fascinating story uh, in a new book called Muppets in Moscow. The unexpected, crazy, true story of making Sesame Street in Russia. The author of the book is Natasha Lance Rogoff, who was right at the heart of this so-called crazy story uh an award-winning uh television producer and filmmaker uh who was hired by the children's television workshop to adapt sesame street for russia in the wake of the dissolution of the soviet union and uh, it was an incredibly tumultuous unpredictable time in that nation a difficult time to do just about anything uh, let alone trying to bring a beloved American classic television show for children to that nation and uh, in her endlessly fascinating book published by Roman and Littlefield Natasha Lance Rogoff chronicles all kinds of different complications and difficulties that made this uh, to say the least a a rough ride uh, but ultimately uh, an experience which she looks back on with a, a great deal of, of, um, of affection. She is uh, an associate fellow at Harvard's University's Art, Film, and Visual Studies uh, Department. And uh, again, the title, title of her book is Muppets in Moscow, The Unexpected Crazy True Story of Making Sesame Street in Russia. Natasha Lance Rogoff, we welcome you to The Morning Show.
1: Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here.
0: It's an amazing book. I'm curious why it has taken you so long to write this book. Uh, Did you want to allow a certain amount of time uh, to elapse before looking back at these uh, events from so many years ago? Uh, Or was there some other reason why the book is only appearing now?
1: Well, you give me uh, more agency than I actually... uh, had in um, in writing this book, um, I, <clears throat> I started writing the story after the show aired. So Sesame Street, Russia aired in 1996, and I had enormous amounts of uh, material that I saved from that time more than, you know, almost 30 years ago. I had journals and um, memos. Uh, you know, uh, videos that I had uh, um, made on um, on mini DV tapes where I interviewed people who were part of this extraordinary experience. And I, I, you know, I thought I might make a film about it at some point later. And so I had all these boxes which uh, would uh, move with me as I moved with my family to to different cities. Uh, My husband's an academic. And so uh, I I finally, you know, in 2017 about, I went back to Russia, and this was um, a period when uh, Putin was really starting to uh, quite a bit more crack down on independent media, and i just you know I, I i kept thinking wow this was this was an just an amazing experience that we had so long ago and look at where we're heading now um it seemed like there were a lot of lessons in my experience having worked in russia on you know sesame street for 5 years and then the previous 10 years before that making documentary films in russia and uh, working for news. And I, I, I was noticing uh, that every Netflix and Amazon show which had Russians in the storyline as characters were, you know, thugs, criminals, prostitutes, oligarchs, and they were real caricatures of the uh, the Russian people, and I didn't see the people that I had worked with for so long uh, in Moscow making Sesame Street, I didn't see them reflected in these depictions. And that really bothered me. Um, I also felt that, you know, these are people who uh, made so many sacrifices uh, in the 1990s to try to build a better future for Russia. And, uh, you know, they they um, they were also incredibly uh, disheartened and depressed by, you know, what had happened. And this was even before, you know, Russia invaded Ukraine. Right. So I wanted to write this story. I wanted to tell their story.
0: Hmm. That really helps explain the timing of this, and I I appreciate you you sharing that. Uh, Ahead of us digging into the story, the heart of the matter, I think it would be interesting for our listeners to understand how you— found yourself in Russia in the first place. I don't mean in the spring of 1993 when you returned to Russia to begin this work. I mean earlier than that, when you had uh, worked in Russia for some time, more than a decade. Uh, explain to our listeners what first drew you so powerfully uh, to Russian culture and, uh, and what led you ultimately to want to even live there and work there.
1: Well, I went, I went there... The first time uh, when I was 22 years old as an American um, foreign exchange student, and at that time it was the Soviet Union, and we had two programs, uh, one in Moscow and one in Leningrad, Um, and in my program there were 30 students from all over the United States from different colleges, and we studied at Leningrad State University. We studied Russian. Um, and went from from the day I went there. I mean, I, I was so I was already so fascinated with uh, Russian culture in high school. You know, from reading literature, and uh, this you know the, the the writing was just so seductive, and this other world. It just seemed like um, you know such a romantic, fascinating place. Um, and also my, my grandfather, you know, came from Russia, so it was already something that I was really curious about. Um, although, you know, I come from a big family with five children, uh, five siblings, and my other siblings were not that <laughs> curious about where they came from. Um, but, uh, you know, I read, read tons of literature, um, and the, the stories were, were so, um, so bizarre, you know, like the, the, you know, goggles, the nose, and, um, I just, I just felt somehow drawn to this, uh, unusual place that had a completely different economic system and life than, than our own country. Um, and this was during a time when uh, you know, we were in America, in the West, very concerned about nuclear war. Um, you know, it's I can't believe we're, you know, having this, these same discussions again and the same fears, but we are. And you know, it was it was they were the enemy. So I was intrigued. I wanted to see what this other society looked like, uh, and it was a unique opportunity to go there. Um, as a student uh, in the 1980s. Hmm. So that's how that all happened.
0: I know that one of the things that you did during those years was uh, created something of, a, of an expose uh, describing uh, gay life behind the Iron Curtain and uh, the kind of challenges and, and threats that that uh, many gay people faced in in places, like Russia, did anything in particular draw you to want to tell this particular story?
1: It was, it was, uh, you know, coming from America at that time in the nineteen eighties, when the gay community was just becoming uh, quite a bit more active, more visible, and uh, really having some traction on gaining um, gaining uh, rights that that. Um, you know, are now uh, taken for granted in much of the country in the U.S. Um, You know, this wasn't the case in Russia. And I went there, I was part of the artistic community and, um, you know, had many friends uh, from the LGBTQ community. They did not call it that at that time in Russia. And many of these people were being blackmailed by the KGB, to report on friends, uh, and you know, this was uh, this was a perfect example of uh, Soviet active measures, you know, within their own society, um, and the attitude towards homosexuality in Russia was was um, you know that uh, uh, this was written, you know, into their their um, legal uh, document. Uh, homosexuality was against the law. So, um, <clears throat> you know, many of these people had a very hard life, uh, and I, I, I just started writing about that in 1983 and published a piece in the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, so that, that, that was uh, the beginning of, of my, um, uh, you know, trying to do something to help in that country. Hmm. and make, make people in the West more aware of, of what was going on there. I mean, we, as I say, people were also fighting in the U.S., so it was a, a story that had resonance for the LGBT community and others in the U.S. as well.
0: Hmm. We're speaking with Natasha Lance Rogoff. We're going to be uh, talking now about the heart and soul of her fascinating new book, which is called Muppets, in Moscow. The unexpected, crazy, true story of making Sesame Street in Russia. Natasha Lance served as executive producer for a Russian version of Sesame Street that was uh, created and, and aired uh, in, in, in the 1990s in those tumultuous years following the, the fall of the old Soviet regime. Uh, ahead of us talking about your undertaking of this incredible challenge, for which in some respects you were not exactly naturally suited, and we'll talk about that. Uh, you are returning to Russia in the spring of 1993 to undertake this task, and you had been away from Russia for a couple of years. Uh, explain what had led to your departure from Russia a couple of years before that, and in a sense, uh, the kind of trepidation you felt in terms of returning to a country which uh, you expected to find and indeed did find to be uh, utterly transformed.
1: Well, I I had li- you know lived in in Russia for uh, I had lived in the Soviet Union and uh, during the last years of um, of Soviet rule uh, I spent time making a film. So two years, uh, for two years I embedded with uh, anti-Western, uh, pro-communist, many fascists who did not want to see the Soviet Union collapse. And these conservatives, um, uh, you know, were doing everything they could. To maintain power understandably I mean this is a huge country the Soviet Union it spans one-seventh the world's surface and includes millions of people including Ukraine Armenia Georgia you know all these all these uh, um, former Soviet republics that are now independent countries Um, at that time I um, was interviewing people and following a um, a steel worker, uh, a police chief, and an entrepreneur, who were all part of um, this new society, Soviet society, that was just opening up under Gorbachev. And um, I wanted to uh, describe what their lives were like. And I made a film called Russia for Sale, The Rough Road to Capitalism. And this, is, you know, this was part of the opening in the Soviet Union was towards markets. So the idea was that you would loosen the state control over the command economy, and then people would be able to have what I would think of as limited entrepreneurship. Um, but at this time, it was still generally illegal, to sell, uh, sell things independently in the Soviet state. Um, that, that film, um, <clears throat> uh, ended up, I ended up predicting the coup of 1991 and the night of the coup was on ABC News nightline, uh, because few people had been following the con the, uh, conservatives and, and I had, you know, been, been, uh, uh, you know, filming them for for several years. So after that film completed um, and it aired on PBS television, I came back to the states, and you know the commun the Soviet Union had just collapsed, and I was now in my thirties and really wanted to <clears throat> was starting to think about you know having a family and. Okay, I've spent the last, you know, all my 20s in the in Russia and the Soviet Union and maybe now it's time to essentially, you know, grow up, become an adult. <laughs> uh, so, I I, you know, I came back to the States and my family was there, my my uh, my father, you know, was was my my mom had died earlier and so I, you know, um I really wanted to you know, come back to the U.S. and and then uh, I was showing my film around uh, around the country, and these two Sesame Street executives showed up at one of my film screenings and asked me if I would consider helping them bring Sesame Street to Russia. And at this point, I thought, you know, my my uh, my time in Russia was over; that I was going to try to do. Something else, and you know, rather than being an independent documentary filmmaker, you know, maybe I'd get a job, like you know, with a four hundred one k or to do something like that, and you know, have some security because it's pretty tough, you know, making a living as a as a filmmaker. And um, anyway, they were very encouraging, and I, I, you know, was kind of surprised. I told them I had no experience in children's television. And they, um, you know, they were pretty persistent uh, and um, asked me to come down to their headquarters. Hmm. So that was how that all happened.
0: I remember as you talk about this moment, I think you say something to the effect that not only did you have uh, absolutely no experience in children's television, you scarcely had any experience with children. <laughs> I mean, you had no children and, <laughs> and you know, really had not, not had much in the way of, of, of even you know sort of contact with children. So there were a lot of ways in which you were uh, not a natural fit for this challenging assignment. Of course, on the other hand, you brought other kinds of experience that they deemed to be very, very valuable for such an undertaking. Uh, One thing I want to be sure to ask you about is that when you talk to these two representatives from uh, the Children's Television Workshop, they offered up slightly contrasting visions of what this program would, in a sense, look like. And, uh, And in some ways, I suppose maybe even at the time that was probably a little disconcerting and maybe in retrospect you realize that that was maybe a harbinger of just how difficult this was ultimately going to be explain the slightly different vision that these two gentlemen had about what a russian version of sesame street might in a sense look like
1: the um there was a there was a, the workshop was incredibly ambitious they had um Uh, then-Senator Biden had spearheaded congressional support uh, for a Russian Sesame Street, Um, but the funding wouldn't be released until we had matching funding from uh, Russian uh, sources, either Russian television or Russian um, private sponsors, and that was because the U.S. government wanted the new Russian government to have skin in the game. And um th- within the workshop there was not a consensus on the what type of production ulitsa Sazam, which means sesame street in russian should be the difference is, is the difference was uh, one executive wanted the show to be limited production so more uh, dubbed material from the american show and the other executive wanted it to be a whole scale uh, original production with a um, much smaller amount of dubbed uh, material from the U.S. show. And at the time, like you again, you give me more credit <laughs> <than I> deserve <laughs> for having foresight about how difficult the show would be, because, you know, I just listened to them and, you know, I was. I, I, I really didn't have a clear idea of first of all I hadn't been in the country for a couple of years it was a new independent uh, fledgling democratic country uh, with a growing market economy and at this time lots of bankers and investors and um, you know people buying up raw materials and evangelists trying to um, uh, you know convert, Atheists, uh, communists to to religious uh, awakening, you know it was it was a it was a crazy time in, in Russia. <laughs> and it's and, like and it's
0: like everybody wanted to be there in a sense. I mean, not literally everybody, but all kinds of people who probably just a few years earlier would not have even thought of traveling to Russia no. and investing there and so on. And suddenly uh, there was it, it just seemed like fertile ground for all kinds of different. Uh, projects and possibilities, and uh, an American version of Sesame Street just being one of them.
1: Correct, exactly. We were the soft power do good for, you know, uh, Sesame Street is a non and, you know, we were there trying to change the way children would think about themselves and their opportunities in the future. And, um, you know, but there were many other uh, um, uh, uh you know entrepreneurs and bankers and everybody over there that you know it, it was huge market and they wanted to make money. So this was the environment that that I went into and um, in hindsight when I look at and I, I talk about this in the book, but you know considering the obstacles that we faced in terms of, Uh, people getting killed, you know, uh, the assassination of our Russian broadcast partner, the uh, car bombing of our first sponsor, and as well as all the cultural clashes that we we encountered, it's phenomenal that this actually worked in this environment. So the fact that there were people in the workshop who, from the get-go, had said, maybe this isn't such a Uh, you know, good idea, and maybe we should scale back our expectations. I think that I portrayed that accurately in the book, but at the time, at at the age I was, um, you know, and not having any experience, you know, in children's television or with children, I kind of poo-pooed that. You know, I was like, we can do it, you know. <laughs> can, yeah, let's go do it. You know, right. this will be great, and let's do. You know, I'll uh, I'll just jump in, and <laughs> that was you know the way um, the way I had approached many things um, in my own personal life too. You know, I had this this theory, this this mantra that I would tell myself, which was, you know, if something intimidates me, uh, you have to do it. Like, this was a rule I had. And if my own children had the same rule, I'd be terrified.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I think I'm... I I wanted to ask you about this, but in a sense, you've, I think, to some extent, answered it. I I wanted to ask you why, as somebody who had lived and worked in uh, what then was the Soviet Union, uh, why you... In a sense, didn't have uh, the a, a, as much concern. I mean, h- how you went in with you know th- all of this optimism, uh, and 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 seemingly not completely, but maybe to some some extent, kind of oblivious to all of the pitfalls, all of the challenges that were going to face you. But it seems to me as you're describing this moment in history. Uh it's almost as though you and others were swept up in just the prevailing spirit of optimism by which that was drawing all kinds of people to Russia at this moment in time and in in that respect, it makes all kinds of sense to have this sense that anything was possible at that moment uh in russia
1: yeah i i I think you're you're absolutely right I mean what's difficult to think about now in where we are today is it's hard for people to either they weren't born yet or they don't remember but this period when communism collapsed uh, this is after 70 years of the investment of billions and billions of dollars by the west and by russia in you know nuclear weapons and war uh, and you know fighting each other in afghanistan and all other places it's it's really uh, you know for territory. I mean, not directly, but uh, this this period uh, when the Soviet Union, the Soviet Empire, collapsed, and you had new countries emerging like Ukraine and Armenia and Georgia, it was it was you know just incredible. It was so much hope. There was hope uh, both in Russia and in the United States that a different future would exist, that Russia would join the free world, that the whole global, you know, uh, economy would work together and collaborate. Um, we had people, you know, who, who were evangelical about capitalism and expecting that, you know, it was going to somehow uh, um, rise up and grow in Russia overnight. I mean, there was a great deal of naivete, and at, this was all happening um, against the backdrop of extreme poverty, violence, you know, within Russia, and fear of the uncertainty of what was to come in their own country, and and the you know what would happen for their with their children and their children's lives in the future. So I think it was. You know, this is a narrative that Putin uses over and over again to justify his autocracy. And um, that's why, uh, you know, another reason when you ask, why did I write this book? The 1990s are really critical to understand if we want to find a way out of this. It is a window into uh, the historical experience that that Russians uh, um, had you know that that impacted the the following years
0: hmm. we're speaking so, with with we're speaking with natasha lansragov about her new book muppets in moscow the unexpected crazy true story of making sesame street in russia of course the heart and soul of your book is what you were just talking about uh, about coming back to russia at this momentous era in its history and uh, trying then to launch uh, a Russian version of the beloved children's uh, series Sesame Street. Uh, First of all, at this moment in time, we're talking about uh, the year 1993 when you begin this work in earnest in Russia. At that point in time, what did children's television in Russia look like? Was there even such a thing? And, uh, And if so, did it bear the remotest resemblance to a program like Sesame Street, as we saw it here in the United States?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, there was a program called Spokoni Nochi Malashi, and it was a very uh, old program that children would watch before they went to bed. The program itself was extremely low production values and uh, didactic, and encourage the children you know to be obedient and then go to bed um it, you know there 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 was not a lot of production at the time that we started making Sesame Street uh in Russia the studios film studios were dark because there was no state funding for film and before we arrived um television production uh itself was was very far behind the us television had been used under uh, by in co- during communism mostly for propaganda and while aesthetically it was brilliant um, you know in terms of block print and de- you know c- graphic designs um, the the production values were, were very low and most people did not use computers at all so everything, Computers, you know, were just starting in the U.S., the computer use in corporations, email, for instance. Um, but in Russia, nothing, no use of computers um, in the television station. So everything was, was handwritten. Um, in addition to that, the longest dramatic TV series uh, or that that had ever been done was only 12 episodes. Wow. So we were going to be p- producing 52 half-hour episodes, and that had not been done. Mm. It was unprecedented. Wow. So when we went to our creative team and you know, began talking with them about this, their reaction was, it's not possible. Um, and you know we found a way, you know, which, which included giant poster boards, you know, on the wall with the list of tasks and all, uh, you know, broken out by, by uh, music, uh, film production, everything. Mm. Um, but, but before I, I jump off, I also want to say that the, the uh, film, the history um, of film in Russia was extraordinarily artistic and world renowned. So you had the, the big studios. Uh, Moss Film, Gorky Film Studios that had made, you know, some of the most admired films from the 1920s. And we hired those directors who had worked in film but had not worked in television much. Um, And the same was true, uh, we pulled in all kinds of people from different um, professions, as well as animation. And animation in Russia was phenomenal. I mean, the the, the most of it was hand drawn cell animation, and you know, world renowned at that point. So the Soviet animators were fantastic. We pulled them in too, and eventually our team numbered four hundred people, between the puppeteers, the writers, the animators, the filmmakers, the producers, the set designers. It was quite an amazing, uh, eclectic and diverse group of team of, of, of people hmm. on the team.
0: Some of the difficulties that you faced were very specific to the matter of trying to import a specifically American uh, product like Sesame Street into this Russian market, which is challenging enough, but there were also some things that probably had a whole lot to do with just the way at least many Russians tended to kind of operate and 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 would have made any undertaking probably challenging I think one of the most amusing is when you were talking with one of your your Russian colleagues about how to kinda facilitate things get things moving and so on and their advice to you was was basically to to not write anything down, to not you know make any sort of specific goals or timetables or anything because first of all, you can't predict anything but 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 also they said something to the effect that uh in order to avoid delays, just don't ever promise anything that way you'll never know if there are delays or not. In other words, just don't ever set deadlines. Don't ever set timetables. And just sort of let the chips fall where they may. And it must have been amazing and maddening uh, to be working at least with some colleagues there where this was their their means of, of, of operation, which just doesn't work when you're talking about something as complicated as a television series.
1: No, the I would say, you know, the... Uh... The approach to work and uh, and was very different, and that was a, a particularly um, Russian solution <laughs> to, to eliminate any problems. Just don't write it down. No, it was it was great. I mean, eventually they did. They they did work very hard, and they learned how to do production budgets and schedules and everything. And you know, they were totally converted by the end of the show and working, you know, in a way that was you know equal to the way productions are done in the west, and um they were they were really proud of of what they learned so quickly, hmm. so it was just you know in the beginning it was really tough, but hmm. then you know change anywhere is so difficult um of course they, you know the big yeah yeah but the big- the bigger issues also were like the um you know, not just the way of working, but ideas and, um, you know, the conversations that we had with some of the Russian educators because we adopted the the uh, Sesame Street model of the uh, creative people, the producers, working with the uh, children's education experts to determine the content of the show. And... Um, and that was, uh, you know, that was that was quite a difficult process with, um, you know, for instance, when we first, um, uh, co- we had a three-day seminar with all the um, educators who had come from across the former Soviet Union. And this was um, in the summer of 1995, and it was held at the Danilov Monastery, which is a, uh, you know the the uh, headquarters of the Russian Orthodox Church, uh, which dates back to the 13th century. So it was kind of an intimidating environment to be uh, working in, and we had just rented space here. And you know the the um, there was there was a lot of confusion about how the. Russian educators and the Georgians and the Ukrainians, you know, how this post-Soviet education experts would come up with ideas for what the show should teach their children. What do children need to learn in New Russia? And one physicist said, uh, you know, after we had started the discussion for a while, he said, you know, you task, you're tasking us with coming up with what we should teach our children in order to thrive in a new open society, but we don't know what a new open society looks like yet. Hmm. And you know, they, there were all all kinds of poignant discussions like this um, that you know touched on on the most basic things, you know, including like showing children running a lemonade stand, you know, which I I. Um, somewhat uh, stupidly proposed in the course of our debates and discussions as a way of teaching kids counting and team-building skills. And this was met with horror by the educators, uh, because in communist times, the only people who would sell things on the street were criminals and, you know, the mafia, because (laughs) (laughs) independent... Independent commerce was illegal. So, you know, that was a pretty innocent, I thought, you know, suggestion. And there were many, many uh, examples of this in the book where you really get to uh, have a deep understanding of Russian culture and the history.
0: Right. And of course, you know, we're talking about a couple of different things. And, and one of them is, you know, to what extent this program should be or could be. Uh, in what some would regard as kind of an instrument of of propaganda, and of trumpeting very American ideals and uh, American progressive progressivism, but the other thing is uh, the matter of balancing what you talk about in the in the book about education versus entertainment, and how one can certainly have strong ideas about certain concepts that are important to teach but you the last thing you wanted to do was to create a program where it was so heavily weighted that direction that it ended up being just terribly dull something that no one would want to watch I mean and just balancing that uh education versus entertainment that's nothing unique to Russia or to Sesame Street but that was also a challenge that you had to wrestle with.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's very true, and also, you know, we had 45 writers working on the show. We had a real generation uh, gap between the older writers and the younger writers, and, you know, the older writers, the the first uh, head writer we had who later got fired, um, only wanted to hire established uh, children's literature uh, authors. And of course, these authors, while they were extremely talented, could not learn the television writing style that we needed. You know, they were submitting like ten-page tomes, uh, and it was it was very often uh, beautifully written, but quite dark. And um, you know, we had a number of writers that would submit scripts, and they were all writing independently of each other. But we found that something like 90% of the scripts were like escapist. They had escapist themes. And, you know, for example, one was about um, a family that went off to France and ate fine cheeses and foie gras. And you know this doesn't this isn't quite relevant to children <laughs> or to Russia, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but you know it was they were writing they had it was only recently that uh, Russians were allowed to travel uh, overseas, and you know a few years earlier, otherwise it was almost impossible. So of course they were writing about you know what excited them. And we understood that, um, but there were there were great. Uh, you know differences between the um, the uh, the way that that the Russian and and you know post-Soviet writers were were writing about issues from the American show, mm. and you know one one writer said said to me we we find this all very difficult because you know the American show uh, riffs off of pop culture. You know, the, the, you have a shared popular culture and, and it's easy to write jokes about it. But here, you know, our recent past is very painful and raw. We can't make jokes yet about Soviet culture, that, you know, our society that has just collapsed. Our healthcare system has collapsed. We have great poverty, you know, and we can't make jokes about the future, new Russia because we don't know what it is yet, and we don't have a shared culture yet. And I just thought, oh, wow, this is so fascinating, and we, you know, we're really going to have to work together to try to figure out how do we write about this? Mm. How do we model new ideas of a gentler, more tolerant society that is still very Russian and culturally um, sensitive mm. and relevant to Russia? So the show is it's not an American show. It's a very Russian show.
0: Right. And your book uh, chronicles all kinds of different details about the making of the show. One of my favorite chapters, because I'm a music person, is titled Is R for Rachmaninoff or Rock and Roll, in which you are really struggling uh, with... Uh, the person you hope will be your music director, you know, to help them understand the role that music should play in this program, but what that music needs to be. And, of course, it needs to be more than Rachmaninoff or rimsky korsakov or whatever. And there is another wonderful chapter in which you explore the whole matter of The Muppets, named in the title of the book, and the resistance from at least some of the people on the staff, uh, including uh, someone who, at least at the time, was your head writer who was so proud of Russia's long-revered tradition of puppetry and the idea that we would make a Russian children's program and utilize these strange-looking, unrealistic-looking puppets from America, I mean, that was just uh, unthinkable, Uh, and that ends up being one of the most interesting tug-of-wars that occurs in this whole project.
1: Yeah, no, it was almost uh, the Muppets were almost an international crisis. <clears throat> and uh we uh you know eventually the the, the puppets uh you know they <laughs> the, the Muppets that were created were extraordinary. Uh they had like a a puppet that was uh, blue and is larger than Big Bird and kind of hound like um and he's based on a um uh, Russian folklore, this this character Domovoy, who is the spirit of the hearth in the home, and this is a character who lives in nature. So our muppet lives inside a tree, but to get to this point where where you know was incredibly difficult, and the um, the creative team at first wanted uh, this character to be. More similar to the character out of their own folklore, who's like an old man with with flashing fiery eyes, and he generally, uh, you know, tells children how to behave. Um, and that that didn't seem, you know, <laughs> didn't seem ideal considering a lot of the Muppets are very childlike and playful and curious to reflect how children relate to the world. Um, but the first. Very early on, the the creative team uh, um, invited the top puppet designer to uh, meet with me and show me what puppets they thought should be in their Sesame Street show. So he walked in with two giant sacks. He pulled out two uh, Muppets, uh, not Muppets, uh, puppets that are like wood. So they're hard wood and they have kind of cool expressions on their face and he raises his arms and immediately one puppet starts to hit the other one and says, "I will kill you, I will kill you and everybody in the room is laughing and and I'm just sitting here thinking i you know, I don't know if this like puppet on puppet violence is very sesame street like <laughs> so i was a I was a little worried from that point um but there, there were also, as you say, big challenges with the music, and the music director initially wanted uh, the show to have only classical music. Um, she was, you know, rightfully so, very proud of uh, of Russia's music tradition, which is world renowned, and um, they've made some of the uh, greatest contributions to the arts in, in the world Russia has. And... I understood where she was coming from because most of the animated children's series um, use uh, classical music, so her perspective wasn't um, unusual. But Sesame Street itself is uh, known for its uh, very, um, you know, inventive and uh, sounds and the diversity of the music. The whole whole idea of making the show was to you know introduce new elements into Russian culture uh, to widen people's understanding of uh, what what uh, new Russia could be and for me personally it was an opportunity since I had made an earlier film about underground rock and roll uh, with with um uh, rock musicians, musicians who had been persecuted under communism, who could not um, perform their music, who couldn't record their music under the state communist system because there were studios but they were owned by the state. So the state did not support the um, creation of rock music. They felt it was poisoning to uh, um communist culture, you know, poisoning to children to listen to, to rock music. Um, so I, when I was um, the executive producer of Ulitsa Shazam, Sesame Street in Russia, I thought, wow, we could, we could also give these people jobs. We could um, make it this uh, a place for these young musicians who didn't have opportunities under communism to write music. Um, so there was a, a bit of a battle there, um, and I, it was also a really incredible learning process for me um, in terms of how to effect change uh, in Russia while still being culturally sensitive um, to the music director and, and everybody else. Mm-hmm.
0: That is just one of many important stories that are part of your amazing book, again, titled Muppets in Moscow, the unexpected, crazy, true story of making Sesame Street in Russia, published by Roman and Littlefield and the author, Natasha Lance Rogoff. Thank you so much for telling this remarkable story. We leave it to our listeners to explore more of the details of this uh, extraordinary story, a story unfortunately uh, laced with uh, some tragedy, some violence, and, uh, and of course at the heart of this story, uh, the determination of you and others to make this program a reality. Natasha Lance Rogoff, again, your book Muppets in Moscow is so worth exploring. And I appreciate you joining me today on the morning show to talk about it. Very, very best wishes to you.
1: Thank you so much, Greg. I really had a good time. You asked great questions.